Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And we have another returning guest who first appeared in April 2020, which was episode 76. So um, quite a few episodes ago. Um, Gerard Barron is chairman and CEO of the Metals Company, who produced metals from polymetric rocks to power electric vehicles um, and was founded in 2020 um, through the merger of Deep Green and the Sustainable Opportunities Acquisition Corporation to scale our noodle collecting and onshore processing systems. Um, Gerald's a builder of global companies in battery technology, media, and future orientated resource development. Um, both as chief executive and as a strategic investor, um, he's on a mission to help transition our planet away from fossil, fuel, fossil fuels um, towards a circular resource economy. So, want to welcome Gerard back to the uh, um, podcast again. So, how are you doing, Gerard? Hey, Rob, I'm very well. And you know what? I've never heard them referred to as noodles, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's kind of cute. I think if it was, uh, I mean, they, they've been known as nodules, which I don't particularly <laughs> like either. But uh, we, we think of them as our remarkable rocks. Yeah, and, and I have one, of course. I always have one near me. You do. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so, um, obviously, you were on the podcast a year and a half ago, so I appreciate if listeners can go back and listen to that episode, which was number 76. But for those that haven't um, listened to that episode, I wonder if you can just give us a quick um, overview or background about yourself um, and about the company. And obviously, when, when, we, when we spoke before, um, it was um, – Deep green, and obviously you've had a you've gone through a merger. So I just wonder if you can just cover that as well. Yeah, sure. So, well, at the metals company, we're all about um, collecting these remarkable rocks off the ocean floor, and um, so I think everyone knows we're moving into an era that's going to be very metal intensive. You know, all of your listeners appreciate that, so I won't bother you with the data. But you know, the question is, as we add up you know, just how metal intensive this transition is going to be, where are the metals going to come from? You know, we're, we're, we've got three mega trends on the go at the moment. One is, of course, uh, the electrification of the transport fleet, the move away from fossil fuels, which is going to be very metal intensive. Uh, secondly, we have we have the geopolitics where the world has woken up the, to the fact that China dominates the battery material supply chain. And so you can want to build these gigafactories, but where on earth are the metals going to come from? And of course, what China doesn't control, uh, other parts of Asia control the balance of it, really. Um, so markets like North America and Europe are kind of left a little bit wanting. And then the other trend is the, the investors looking for ESG sustainable investment opportunities. And that's going to put the spotlight on what the true environmental cost of extractive industries are. And so, you know, what we're finding and we believe is that 
making battery materials out of polymetallic nodules can deliver a, a, an enormous benefit to the planet. It can compress CO2 emissions by more than 90%. It can reduce tailings to zero. It can eliminate the need for waste. And, you know, all, and it can avoid the dislocation of communities and you know, um, polluting fresh water supplies. The list goes on. But I think what will happen is we'll continue to force companies to look at the true range of impacts from a life cycle analysis. So that's what the metals company is about. We were a private company. We were known as Deep Green, of course, and then we merged with a, a company. We, we've always wanted to change the name, and we thought this is the right moment to do that. And so we're now known as the metals company listed on NASDAQ. So that's an exciting development in the company's evolution as well. Yeah. And obviously you, you recently listed, um, I was speaking to obviously one of your colleagues, Rory, just before we, uh, we came on, on air. Um, how did that listing, how did the listing go? You know, it was, uh, I mean, for anyone who's listed a company before it's taxing, right? It's hard work. And, um, and we didn't go for a, um, you know, a secondary exchange. We decided to go for NASDAQ. So we're now regulated by the SEC. And, you know, that's, that's fine. We wanted to go down a public company path for one main, two main reasons. The first was that this is, you know, a big disruptive new industry that we're embarking upon. And, and you know, it has its opponents. You know, there are opponents like Greenpeace who will say, we don't need more extractive industries. We can recycle and degrowth our way to not needing more metals. And I think most people would agree that's total nonsense. So having a more public stage to communicate our message and our perspective is important to us. And then obviously being able to access capital on more um, you know, favorable terms is also an important part of our future. And there was one hidden benefit that we didn't really fully appreciate at the time we made the decision. And that was as an SEC regulated company, we become a much more transparent uh, counterparty. And so, you know, phones being ringing hot, Rob. So yeah, it's good. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, so just wondering if you can tell our audience what sort of type of uh, resources and metals can be found um, in the deep sea? Well, you know, this is one of our communication challenges because everyone thinks, oh, my God, you know, mining is such a invasive, impactful industry, you know, that, that unfortunately has a track record of a lot of environmental destruction. But, of course, um, the thought of transitioning that same practice into the oceans would be a horrific idea. And there's no way in the world I would be associated with that. And so it's important that we communicate to people that the oceans have a variety of metal types in them. Now, as you've heard, we're focused on polymetallic nodules and, and our rocks lie on the bottom of the ocean floor. Like imagine golf balls on a driving range. You know, that's what we have. We have um, the world's largest undeveloped battery metal deposit. And so, but there are other types of metals in the ocean as well, like sulfide, seafloor massive sulfide deposits and seafloor crusts. And they are attached to the floor of the ocean. And so, you know, in the case of sulfides, they form on land the same way they form in the ocean 
through volcanogenic activity. So to get them out, you've got to send down big nasty machines that have to, you know, grind up the, the ore body, turn big rocks into little rocks, and then find a way of getting them to the surface. And the same with um, the seafloor crust, whereas we're focused on polymetallic nodules. And, and of course, um, most of the oceans in the world have polymetallic nodules, but there's only one part of the ocean that we think is of interest. And that's where we are in the clarion Clipperton zone. It's about a thousand miles off the coast of Mexico. And it's because the nodules in this area have very high grades of nickel and copper and cobalt, and also very good grades of manganese. And so, you know, it's very aligned with what society needs more of as we transition away from fossil fuels. Uh, nodules that are found in other oceans are often not worth recovering because they have virtually no nickel and no copper. And so, and if you were to take our, our you know, it's mainly a nickel project, about half of our revenue will come from nickel, just under. Um, but if you were to put the other metals, because it's polymetallic, into nickel equivalents, we're like 3.2% nickel equivalent. So there is no other ore body on the planet that is 3.2% nickel equivalent and of such scale, 1.6 billion tons. So, yeah, it's an exciting uh, project to, to communicate. But helping people understand those differences is important because it, our resource leads to a much lower set of impacts and a much better set of economics. Yeah. How did you actually come across that particular area? And did you compare it against any other areas across across the world i mean I, I take it there was was there previous data around mm. around around the world with obviously the data around seabeds how, how did mm. you come across that particular and decide that's the area that you want to focus on well they were discovered way back in the 1870s and so i mean here we are 2021 um imagine what it was like in the 1870s but there was this curiosity that they wanted to see what was on the bottom of the ocean. So it was an expedition funded by the Royal Society in London uh, to sail around the world for four years and dragging a dredge behind the boat, a basket. And luckily, the steam piston had been invented, so they, they'd haul up this dredge and they were recording what was found on the ocean floor. And so they were at sea for four years. And um, so it began there. And then, of course, in the 1970s, the industry kind of got started. There were four different consortia involving names like Lockheed Martin, uh, BP, Shell, Mitsubishi, Sumitomo, and they started collecting these nodules. And, but there was one problem, and the problem was that the world had not agreed who owns the oceans, and so the United Nations stepped in to stop them. They said, no, we're, we're, we're negotiating UNCLOS, which stands for the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea. So until that's agreed, you know, there's no work to be done. So all those parties had, who'd spent tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to solve these engineering challenges. You know, there are great documentaries online if you want to go and, um, you know, Google the Glomar Explorer and, you know, polymetallic nodules. Kennecott, now owned by Rio Tinder, built a 
onshore processing plant. So the industry was ready to get started, but without a clear pathway to title, they all had to go home. And so that's what makes now such an important time in the evolution of this industry, that, that now we have secure exploration licenses and we have certainty around you know, exploitation as well. So what makes the nodule resource different um, and how, how, big is, how big is it? Well, it's big. Um, we control three license areas in this one little zone of, known as the clarion Clipperton zone. And, and I can see that map behind you there, Rob. And, um, yeah. and if you look at where the, the, the border of Mexico and, um, and the USA is, and then you head about 1,000 miles there. to the west, yeah, 1,000 miles to the west, you'll see the clarion Clipperton zone. And it's exactly, that's the spot. That's and this one, this one little patch contains enough battery metals to electrify the global transport fleet several times over. And on two of our license areas, so we have three, but we've defined the resource on two of the blocks. And so we know that we have 1.6 billion tons of polymetallic nodules. Now, that's enough nickel and cobalt and manganese and copper to build around 280 million mid-sized electric vehicle batteries, plus the copper wiring, um, 75 kilowatt batteries. So it's very, very big. And, and of course, you know, the other thing is that as society moves towards a more circular economy, then I and others hope that in the future we're going to slow down extractive industries. But of course, you know, that that is dependent upon the world becoming better recyclers. And, and it's, it's, you know, recycling's okay in some commodities right now, like aluminium. And, and, but the challenge is if you think about what batteries are made of, nickel and cobalt and manganese, a lot of those metals are in our infrastructure around us. So it's, it's hard. We're not going to pull down our buildings and hand in our cutlery to build batteries, right? But as these batteries get made and used, they will be recycled. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that, you know, this part of the planet can solve our future metal needs. And, and that's good news because if we don't bring on this resource, then there are other resources on land. But the question is, where are they? And what's the environmental and so societal cost of extracting them. And there's no better example than nickel because, you know, if you look at the nickel production graph, you know, uh, it's staying flat to decreasing because the grade of on, you know, land-based ore bodies is declining. There are some new discoveries. There's another 10,000 tons here and 20,000 tons there. But the real growth, because, you know, this is current, current supply, but demand is kind of doing this, you know, and so, all of a sudden, where's the gap going to come from? And, and unfortunately, it can only come from nickel laterites. And of course, where are nickel laterites located? Well, in our equatorial rainforest belts, places like Indonesia, where you know these are our carbon sinks of the planet. You know these are the most biodiverse areas of on the planet. And so, the idea of having to destruct those, move aside the trees, the plants, the soil to get to the metal bearing ore to then lift it up, process it using 
often using coal um, energy and then generate lots of tailings, which will have to go somewhere. Maybe they'll go in the deep ocean. I mean, just makes no sense, makes no sense at all. And so it's an important resource uh, that's of size as well. Moving the needle is important here. You know? This is not a marginal uh, improvement. Okay. Um, and what are the differences, differences in grades between polymetric nodules um, and land-based ores? Well, our nodules grow and form in a very different way to what people are used to on land, right? Because they precipitate the metals that are in the seawater and in the sediment upon which they sit. So they a little bit like a pearl precipitates, you know, our nodules do so in the same way. And so that means that they, like this nodule I hold in my hands is about four to five million years old, but they also don't contain poly, uh, deleterious elements like arsenic and mercury. So that's a, that's a really important uh, differentiator of, of our ore body. But it also means they're kind of pure, like this, this is like 32 to 33% metal. The rest, there's a bit of iron in it, there's, uh, but mainly it's hydroxides. Uh, and so that's what, that's what makes it such a valuable and high-grade resource. And, and if you look at the other undeveloped, uh, let's say, nickel ore bodies, then the average grade of those is quite low, like can be 0.3, 0.4%. And also they don't come with the size um, that our ore body comes with. And so, you know, from that perspective, we're talking about much higher grade and we're talking about, um, you know, much lower impacts. So it really is the best of both worlds. I'm just going to move out of the sun here. Rob. Yeah. Um, and in terms of environmental impacts, how does the nodule um, collecting different from sort of mining, um, mining the same sort of metals on land? I suppose what are the, the, the main differences? Well, it begins with the fact that the nodules um, are located in the abyssal zone. And, and I, you know, I always say to people, if, if we as a society had our time again and we had to, to rethink where should we carry out extractive industries, you know, and, and let's say we had a choice to go to the, to the desert, to the Atacama Desert and pick up these rocks, you know, and turn them into battery metals. Would that be a better outcome compared to going to our most biodiverse carbon sinks, like our rainforests, and ripping them down to get to metal-bearing ore? Of course it would be, right? There's not a single person on the planet, I don't think, who wouldn't agree that that's a better outcome. And so that's where it begins, that there's less environment to impact. Now, even in the Atacama Desert, there's still life. You just don't see a lot of it by day, right? It comes out at night. And of course, we have to understand it's the same with the environment we're talking about. You know, we're talking about the most common area of the planet, the biggest desert on the planet. We're just covered by 4,000 meters of water. And there is life down there, but not much. And if we measure life in the form of biomass, there's a, just over 10 grams of biomass life, carbon bearing life per square meter. 
Now that's at one end of the scale. At the other end of the scale is rainforests, where much much of the growth in nickel production is forecast to come from. And that has up to 30 kilograms of biomass per square meter. So it begins with the fact that there's just less life to impact. And so, but then of course, um, as I said, most of the life is actually bacteria living in the sediment. So, so our environmental studies, of which we're kind of halfway through our environmental impact studies, um, focus on, well, how can we mitigate those impacts? Even though there's not much life, how can we mitigate it? And of course, the first way is the regulator has already set aside more area into reserved areas, so protected areas, than there is under exploration license. So that's the beginning point. So you can put aside a big part of it. And so um, the other way is we can engineer our collector systems so that they have less impact. You know, technology is fantastic. I mentioned 50 years ago they started collecting nodules. And a lot's changed since then, right? Technology's become better more available, you know, through the offshore oil and gas industry and pipeline and cable lane and so on. So we can engineer better solutions. So that's another positive impact. And um, yeah, so look, I, I think it's the environmental side that, that we think is going to be the real differentiator because then we move the nodules to shore to process them. And the fact that we don't generate any tailings or any waste is another differentiator. And, and last year, a lot of people don't realize, but you know, mining is the biggest waste generator on the planet. You know, last year, 190 billion tons of waste was created from mining, and you compare that to municipal waste globally, it was two billion tons. And if you listen to the International Energy Agency, who are kind of an authority in this area, you know, they forecast that extractive industries will have to increase between five and six hundred percent per annum to meet the metal demand for the green transition. So, so imagine if that land-based mining has to increase from 190 billion tonnes fivefold, I mean, it's going to be a, a disaster. So we've, we've got to rethink it. We've got to rethink this situation. And, um, and then we've got to be prepared to, to carry out complete life cycle analysis. We've got to be open-minded to say, well, what are these impacts and how do they compare against the other impacts, the known impacts of land-based mining? And which one do we want? Yeah, there's certainly a big difference from, from what you said in terms of the figures and especially the, the waste that you mentioned yeah. a lot. And, and obviously, as, as the industry is going to grow and more and more, the demand for more and more metals is needed, that obviously increase the waste. Um, and it seems your solution... Um, and what, what you're looking to do can alleviate a lot of that waste. Mm, we think so. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit more about the technology re uh, required to sort of collect all the nodules? Yeah, so we, um, we, we've partnered with a company called All Seas, and, um, and All Seas are currently <coughs> excuse me, one of the world's largest pipe layers in the deep ocean for oil and gas. and you know, we're, we're fortunate that that industry needs a lifeline. That industry is slowing down, even though oil prices are quite high today. 
the fact is that you know going forward those companies need to be in a different business yet they've amassed this tremendous expertise and assets um, that they need to point in a different direction so we're very proud to have all seas as a partner um, so so basically you have a tracked vehicle on the ocean floor collecting nodules um, like a you would collect golf balls on a driving range they then go into an air riser which pumps the nodules up to the production vessel and then we transport them to shore where we convert them into battery metals and and we've chosen quite a conventional uh processing flow sheet we use uh, you can either melt the nodules through heat or you can dissolve them through uh, an acid um, solution we've chosen to go with the conventional melting option um, and so that means we'll have a pyrometallurgical step at the beginning or we'll go into kilns and then um, furnaces which will produce a uh, a, a manganese silicate product which will go straight to the steel industry um, and it will produce a, a material first an alloy which will convert into a mat containing the nickel copper and the cobalt which will will then refine into battery metals so so okay. and there is a lot of tech you know because i was speaking at an offshore conference yesterday and you know that that industry is innovative you know they're finding better ways it's a little bit like how how spacex has defined space exploration you know they've come in and they can do things for a tenth of the cost that NASA could do them. And it's because you just get fresh thinking, you get fresh approaches. And, and the offshore industry is a little bit like that. There's a lot of innovation happening. And, and you know, the way we look at it, we have 1.6 billion tons of nodules that we need collected in, with the greatest efficiency and the lowest impact. And so, you know, for that industry, there's going to be tremendous opportunities and, you know, tremendous challenges, of course, but great innovation. And so, you know, and we want to encourage all of that innovation to help us, you know, lower impact and increase efficiency. Yeah. Um, and how do sort of the nodules require um, the processing methods compared to some of the land doors? Uh, I mm. suppose what are the main differences in terms of the processing um, methodology? You yeah. Well, we worked with um, Kingston Metallurgy and Hatch to refine our onshore processing um, flow sheet. And what we learned was that nodules behave very similar in the kiln to how nickel laterite material changes. And so, which is a nice coincidence because we kind of want to replace nickel laterite mining. Um, but the biggest benefit, of course, is that we don't contain those nasty mercury, arsenic, antimony elements that, that generate a lot of tailings and waste for the land-based mining system. So, you know, this nodule that I hold in my hand, we will use 100% of the mass of it. So no waste and no tailings. And, and that's a game changer, right? That's a total game changer. Um, so, and it opens up lots of options for us, A, on our processing flow sheet, but also where we can locate an onshore processing facility. Because we're not generating those toxic tailings and that horrible waste stream, it gives us uh, many, many other options. 
Um, the US and sort of other countries have been talking about mineral independence, um, even as they have a few or no nickel projects, uh, for obviously, for example. How can nodule resource help? Well, you know, we are, the way I look at it, this nodule resource is the only way big markets like the USA can get mineral independence. They, because if you look at the development pipeline of possible and probable projects, they're just not going to move the needle when it comes to battery tech. And so what are we going to do? Develop a different type of battery tech? But that takes a decade or longer. And so that's, you know, availability is the most important element that could put the whole green transition at risk from where I sit. And we saw it recently in the automotive industries where because car manufacturers couldn't get that incy-wincy microchip, they had to close down their entire factory. And of course, the whole world is suffering that now. We're being warned that, um, you know, that, that Christmas supply lines will be impacted by shipping bottlenecks and the lack of chips. So that's a problem. So all of a sudden, you know, if you look at this resource and where it's located, you know, a thousand miles off the coast of California, coast of Mexico, you know, the nodule resource can deliver energy independence to important markets like USA. Because, you know, when we lift the nodules off the seafloor, our boat can sail to the USA, to Canada, to Europe or Asia, China, all the way down to Australia. That's the beauty. We're not hemmed in by infrastructure because on land, what you typically have to do is, is you have to build all of that infrastructure around the ore body. Whereas what we do is we uh, convert assets into seafloor harvesting machines, production vessels. We float them on out there. We start collecting nodules and put them on a, a transporter, a Panamax, and that Panamax can sail north, south, east, or west. So it really opens up optionality to markets that are awakening to the fact that China dominates the battery material supply chain. Um, what are your goals for vertical integrating your business? Um, I mean, for example, collecting, but also processing nodules into battery metals. Yeah. Well, we have spent a lot of time, energy, and money on building the harvest assist on engineering the harvesting system, refining the onshore processing. Um, we've recently completed our pyrometallurgical pilot plant work. We've now are well underway with the uh, pilot hydrometallurgical work. And for us, it's about just putting more certainty around the projects. But going forward, you know, we are absolutely going to collaborate with industry because. You know, there are people out there that know a lot more about running offshore operations than we do. Uh, and they currently service the offshore oil and gas industry. I mean, we have two of those companies on our shareholder list, Allseas and Maersk. And the same applies to the onshore processing side as well. While we've refined our onshore processing flow sheet, you know, there are companies much better equipped at being able to build, own, and operate onshore processing. And so... You know, I guess we have an open mind. You know, we, we, we might do a Tesla and do it all ourselves, 
or we might partner with people, collaborate with people and form joint ventures. Um, and so there's some very interesting conversations that, that, you know, we will continue to have as we move the project through the pre-fees and feasibility phases. Yeah. Um, and lastly, do you think um, deep sea mining can sort of overtake land mining in the future? Well, firstly, I hope so. Because, you know, I, I, if we can collect our polymetallic nodules and turn them into battery metals or metals uh, at a fraction of the environmental cost compared to land-based alternatives, then that's what we should be doing, full stop. Um, we'll certainly dominate the manganese market and the, the potentially the cobalt and the nickel market. Um, Copper is such a big market that will have a, a small impact. But I hope so, Rob, because it's the right thing. You know, it, it's a better way of producing metals. And I think that the thing that will drive ocean metals will be those environmental impacts. Yes, the economics are phenomenal, but consumers will favor brands who are more transparent about their supply chains. And, and, and that means brands that can report full life cycle impacts of their raw materials. And, you know, we're going to want to drive that because firstly, we're easily able to record those impacts. And secondly, our impacts are going to be so much less than the alternative that I think brands who are customers of ours, or certainly customers of the metals from polymetallic nodules, will get marketing edge. And so I think that's what will see people transition away from the old fashioned way to the better way. Yeah. Joe, I really appreciate your time. It's, a, it's certainly a fascinating uh, project that you've got underway and, and, and I really wish you all the best in the future and, and hopefully you can come on next year to give us an update. Um, okay. Cause it's, it's fascinating what, what you're doing. It's something unique. Um, I don't think probably many companies, if any companies out there are doing what you're doing and your, your vision behind what you're, what you're looking to achieve is just, uh, it's just out there and, it, and it's good to hear sort of all the benefits um, that not just um, consumers, but the whole world can uh, benefit from, from your way of, your way of mining and getting resources from the, from the land or from the sea. Mm. Thanks Rob. So, Keep following us. TMC yeah. is the ticker on NASDAQ. Cheer us on from the sidelines. Yeah. And um, if, if people want to reach out to you, how else can they uh, contact you? Do you have, uh, I know you're on social media. Is there any ways that our audience can reach out to you if they've got any questions at all? Yeah, sure. They can uh, reach me via, you know, Twitter or Instagram or, or Jared at metals.co. Yeah, no worries. Um, and for those that are listening, um, I hope you enjoyed that episode because it is it is very unique. Um, so I encourage you to um, share this episode amongst people that you know in the industry, but also people outside of the industry because I think it's it's something unique, something to follow. Um, and also, if you can go back and um, revisit Gerard's first uh, podcast that we did, which was over a year ago, um, episode number 76. So have a look at that one and look how far how far they've come in just a year and a half or so. So, um, Gerard, like I said, appreciate your time. Thank you for listening, everyone. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. 
Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.